It's Wednesday, April 11th, 2018. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Chet, another great week on the Philly sports scene. The Sixers are still rolling with 15 straight wins. The Phils have reached 500 after 10 games. The Flyers and Penguins get ready to get it on tonight in round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, oh, by the way, the Eagles are Super Bowl 52 champions. It has been a real good week for all of our Philly teams, Bill. And I love it when this happens, even though it requires a lot of button pushing on the remote. The Sixers, Flyers, and Phillies all playing at the same time this evening. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've been I've been kind of pretty excited about posting these. Uh, we, we all win. Everybody wins. So I'm hoping we can do that again tonight. Yeah, that would be nice. And as I mentioned on Facebook, we know that we might not have as many live listeners. You know, well, I mean, they're all alive, but they're not listening to us live this <laughs> evening because we have all this uh, sports action on TV. So hopefully they're at least going to remember to listen in the next day or two on iTunes or Stitcher or the TuneIn app. Yeah, well, I'm just hoping you're alive through the whole thing, and me too, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the plan anyway. That's the plan. Hey, we got a lot to talk about tonight. We're going to have special guest Flyers beat writer Sam Carcini and former Phillies broadcaster Chris Wheeler. Looking forward to both of those guys. Yeah, and by the way, Wheels is back in Philly from Florida. In fact, he's at the Phil's Reds game this evening, so he will be calling us right from Citizens Bank Park. Nice, nice. And and we'll let the listeners know with Sam. Uh, obviously, the Flyers are just dropping the puck now, so uh, you had to talk to Sam yesterday, but uh, had a great conversation with him, so looking forward to that. Sam is a great guy, and you know, obviously, he certainly knows his hockey. He's been you know, covering the team for a long time and does a great job doing that, so great conversation and a lot of good insight from Sam. Yeah, and as we said, the Flyers opening their series in Pittsburgh against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Penguins, and both the Flyers... Haven't fared well against this year, Chet. They've lost all four games. You know, if you could handpick an opponent for the Flyers to start the playoffs, it probably would not be the Penguins. As you said, though, Pittsburgh won all four games against the Flyers this year, although a couple of them went to overtime. And I believe the Pens scored five goals in each of the four games. So there's a lot on the shoulders of the Flyers goaltender, Brian Elliott, and that's who it's going to be, assuming he does well from game to game. He's played just two games after being out injured, though, for nearly eight weeks. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of betting money going to the Flyers' side of things, but you never know. And keep this in mind, too. The Flyers have a bunch of first- and second-year players who are getting their very first taste of Stanley Cup playoff action, and it happens to be against a high-powered team that won the Cup the last two seasons. So not an easy task for the Orange and Black. Yeah, well, and, and you know, the, the Rangers aren't the Penguins. Penguins aren't the Rangers. But uh, the Flyers need to play that lockdown defense like they played last Sunday in that final game against the Rangers where they smothered them. Uh, certainly hard to do against Sidney Crosby and Malkin and that bunch. Uh, they, they Especially on the power play, they are really good. Yep, and I know you're happy about how the season ended for that Claude Giroux. Boy, did he finish strong over the last month or so and got to the 100-point mark and then some 34 goals, 68 assists. What a season for G. Yeah, and, you know, the way he did it on Sunday was really something special. Uh, You know, he needed that one point. And, you know, he got a little scoring change on, uh, I guess it was Friday night's game, that gave him that 99th point. Because uh, I thought he was actually going into the game uh, with 98, but he got that 99th point. He needed one, and uh, 
not only does he get one, he finishes the season with only the second hat trick for a flyer this year. Wayne Simmons in game one, Paul Giroux in game last. Pretty good. Yeah, and it was Giroux's first ever regular season hat trick. He had one in the playoffs, and uh, that was nice to see. What a way to finish a real solid season. And he is a legitimate MVP candidate. We'll see if it happens. Yeah, you know, uh, I think they're making the playoffs certainly going to help. Connor McDavid looks like he's the leader in the clubhouse. He's going to win the uh, the Art Ross Trophy again for most points. But uh, he's sitting home watching the playoffs. Yeah. And by the way, Bill, do you have a playoff beard going? Are you trying to grow a little beard to support the team? <laughs> well, no, I, I wish I could, but uh, my work kind of doesn't let me do that because I'm hoping the Flyers are going to be playing for about six weeks and I probably look <laughs> a little straggly. Now, see, I would do it, except uh, I can grow one, but it's very gray now when I try to do it, and it makes me depressed when I see all that gray on my face. <laughs> well, I hear you. I hear you. Hey, uh, <laughs> Speaking of the Flyers, you know, I'm kind of kind of interested to see how this plays out with that Wayne Simmons. You know, I think Simmons has played, you know, kind of not up to expectations. He's got 24 goals, 22 assists, but that's not those aren't Wayne Simmons numbers. And, uh, you know, there's health issues involved, but these hockey guys, they don't let you know that. I'm, I'm waiting to see uh, Simmer have a big series here. They need him. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Um, you know, we know he's got the potential. He has occasional big games. But yeah, it was not the season that we were hoping from him. But on the other hand, so many other guys really stepped it up this year. You know, Goss Despair having uh, the nice comeback season. Giroux, Couturier, the biggest surprise of all. So, um, you know, some guys are going to take a step back here and there, but maybe he will turn it on for the playoffs. We hope so. Well, and you mentioned Couturier, and he was somebody I was going to mention as well because I think it's kind of interesting. Hidden Hidden in the Claude Giroux, Travis Konechny, uh, Gossespierre end of the season, Provorov, uh, the last third of the season, those guys were fantastic. Couturier, as hot as he was for most of the season, went pretty cold here towards the end, and only he ended up with a couple goals through the last good part of the season. Yeah, but he'll be fine. And, you know, even when he's not scoring, he's a great defensive forward. So I'm, oh, I'm yeah. not worried about him at all. Yeah, well, he needs to score goals on that top line, though, I think uh, – Against Crosby and that bunch, uh, they're going to need everything they can get. Yep, and it all and starts how, how, right about how, now. How do you feel? Because I know we, you know, you're a goaltender guy, and uh, you, you're never happy with them, and for good reason. Brian Elliott, as you mentioned, is going to probably get the call. He, he played 43 regular season games. Is he the guy that can even win a series? Because as you know, if you can be hot. Uh, a hot goaltender can carry a club in the NHL playoffs. Well, he's the guy they're relying on. He's the game one starter. And, you know, as long as he plays well, he'll be back for games two and three. So uh, you just never know with a goaltender. And he's not, you know, one of the all-time greats. But sometimes these guys can get hot in the playoffs. And that's what the Flyers need out of Brian Elliott. Absolutely. Well, and, and it starts with the defense. They're going to have to play good, solid defense, and they got to stay out of the penalty box. So true. Well, hey, Chet, as we mentioned, you had a chance to sit down with uh, Sam Carcini uh, yesterday. You had to tape that because of the game, as we mentioned. So tell us, how does Sam feel about the Flyers' chances in this series? Sam said what you and I and any hockey fan knows. It is the playoffs, and anything can happen. Sam does feel the Flyers have a shot. As you'll hear, this is my chat with Sam Carcidi of Philly.com. 
Making a return visit to Philly Press Box Radio to talk hockey, it's the Flyers beat writer from the Inquirer and Philly.com, Sam Carcitti. Hey, Sam. How you doing, Chet? Doing real well. Hey, Sam, before we get into the Flyers-Penguins opening round playoff series, let's talk a bit about the just-concluded regular season by the Orange and Black. I know it went down to the final weekend to lock up that playoff spot, but there were plenty of positives this year, not the least of which was a terrific 102-point season by the captain, Claude Giroux. Pretty impressive. Yeah, I think he is the, the front-runner for the MVP. Now, whether the rest of uh, the voters feel that way, I'm, I'm one of the people that votes in that. And there are a lot of great candidates, including uh, Nathan McKinnon from Colorado, and they had a great improvement, 40-some, I think it was 44-point uh, improvement from last year. Taylor Hall from New Jersey, who carried the, the Devils on his back. He's another strong candidate. But to me, Giroux, you know, he's the only guy out of all the MVP candidates that was in the top three in assists, which he was number one. In points, he was number two. In face-off percentage, he was number three. He had a higher percentage of his points, of his team's goals, I should say, than anybody else. He, he had a hand in 41% of the Flyers' goals. And the other thing is that he really did a great job of mentoring the two guys on his line. I'm talking about Sean Couture and Travis Konechny, who was there for about half the year. and Both of them had career years. So I don't know what else he could have done. He just did a great job. Well, yeah, you mentioned Couturier. How about him, the most improved player award winner? Couturier notched 31 goals, added 45 assists. Who knew this guy was a 30-goal scorer? I didn't. Yeah, I don't think anybody did. And I think when, when they announced at the beginning of the year that, that it was going to be a switch and, and they would see how it went and it, would, it might be a temporary thing, I think a lot of us thought that, hey, after like two, three weeks, Giroux will be back at center and Kachuri will be with, you know, two other guys and maybe be in a shutdown role. That was his role, of course, before this year. But they both complemented each other so well that they never made the change. I mean, the, if you look at the Flyers lineup up and down, I think they made moves everywhere this year, except on the top line, left wing and center, Kachuri and Giroux. They even have a few different right wings. But uh, those two remained intact and, you know, they had great chemistry together and, Kachuri probably came back and played was the first guy back on defense, I would estimate, 75% of the time. The other 25% Giroux was back. So, you know, they, they just worked things out. And uh, I think it took some of the wear and tear out of Giroux because he didn't have to come back and be the first guy back on defense. And it could not have worked out any better, let's put it that way. What's your take on the development of the young guys? You mentioned Travis Konecki, plus there's Nolan Patrick, Lindblom, Sanheim, Haig. They're all coming along pretty nicely, wouldn't you say? I would agree. And Travis Konechny had just a, a tremendous year, especially when he was on that top line. A spectacular year, and he looks like he's going to be a future star. You know, Nolan Patrick in the second half of the year was terrific. I think it, it took him a while to get acclimated. And it took him a while, I think, to also get healthy. And we saw what he could do when he was healthy. You know, he's going to be a fixture in his team down the road. And hopefully, you know, he can be productive in, in the playoff series against the Penguins because, you know, they're going to need him. There, there may be times that he's matched up against Evgeny Malkin. So it's going to be a learning experience. And, and I think that can do nothing but make him a better player down the road. St. Han, you mentioned him. He came on strong after he came back from his stint with the Phantoms. And he played very well. Robert Hague played solidly for the first, you know, 80, 85% of the year. And then, of course, he was replaced in the lineup. But, you know, he has good things ahead of him. And Oscar Lindblom did not look out of place at all. I think they're hoping to get more production from him. Maybe they'll get it in the playoffs. But, you know, he, he played a, a solid two-way game. I was impressed with his defensive work, too. You didn't hear much about that before he got here. 
but he had lots of chances. And, and uh, you know, as he gets more experienced and more acclimated to the game, I think, you know, you'll see him finish them off, and I think you'll see a 20-goal scorer next year. All right. All right, the playoffs, Sam. Probably not the best matchup for the Flyers going against the two-time defending champion Penguins. They're a great team, obviously. Is this series going to be at all like 2012 when the teams combined for 56 goals in that crazy six-game series? Yeah, I don't think so. First of all, there's not a lot of guys left from that. The Flyers, I think, have five guys back. The Penguins only have three. You know, I think it'll be a little more tight checking. That, that You know, that was an anomaly. But I think this has the potential to be a real long series. I think, you know, a lot of people are saying because the Penguins won all four games in a regular season against the Flyers that it's going to be a cakewalk. I don't, I don't see that. The Flyers actually had the lead in three of those four games. They couldn't finish it. Their penalty kill was very weak. They've made some adjustments. I think this has the potential to be a seven-game series. But you're right, it is a tough matchup for the Flyers. I thought they matched up much better with the Washington Capitals, even though the Capitals you know, won the Metro Division. But I think the key here for the Flyers is Brian Elliott. He, as you know, has only played twice since he came back yep. from his surgery. He missed almost two months. So you just don't know how sharp he's going to be. He's only had two games, as I mentioned. He looked very shaky in his first game back. The second game, he had a shutout, but only only had to face 17 shots, so he really didn't get a lot of work. But, you know, when he was challenged, he looked much sharper than his first game. So I think that is going to be the key. And, and the Flyers' young defense, you know, if they can play like they did against the Rangers and limit the grade-A chances, it's going to be a tough, tough order against uh, Crosby and Malkin. But if they can uh, limit the chances, I think it's going to be a, a real good series. The last time they played, was in Pittsburgh, and the the Flyers lost a 5-4 overtime game, but they outshot the Penguins. They outworked them in a lot of areas. They outhit them. They did most things except win. But the key, a lot of keys, but one of the keys, of course, is their penalty kill. The Penguins just shredded them. They were 5 for 13, like 38%. And they've done that to a lot of teams. They're the number one power play in the NHL. So, you know, the Flyers have to be able to contain them to you know, a manageable number you know, if you hold them to maybe a goal in seven or eight chances, you'll have a chance. But you can't give up as many chances as you did and as many goals. And I talked to Andrew McDonald today, and he says that the key for us is to just simply stay out of the penalty box. They took too many penalties, I think, during the regular season against the Penguins. Yeah, you pointed some of that out in your preview piece on Sunday, Sam. The Penguins did have the best power play in the league during the season, 26.2% efficiency. You also mentioned Brian Elliott, who was out for 53 days before coming back, and he didn't fare too well in the two starts against the Penguins either, so Elliott will certainly be a key. Now, down at the other end, Pittsburgh's goaltender is Matt Murray. Is he beatable? He is. I mean, he, he was really impressive last year in, in leading the Penguins to their second straight Stanley Cup, but he, he's taken a step back this year. His goals against was just a shade under three. That said, he's got a, I, I was just looking it up, he's got a crazy long shutout streak in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He's got like 145 straight minutes of shutout hockey heading into the Stanley Cup playoffs. So he's a, he's a big game performer. Pittsburgh's defense in front of him is a little shaky. So I don't think we're going to see the series we saw in 2012 that you mentioned the 56 goals, but I I don't think it's going to be a lot of 2-1 games either. You you might see some 3-2, 4-3 games in there, but, you know, it's going to come down to special teams, goaltending, and who converts their opportunities. The Penguins have been very opportunistic against the Flyers in the regular season. They won all four games, two of them in overtime. The Flyers, conversely, have not cashed in their opportunities. But like I said, I I think it was a a lot more competitive. To the outsider out there, the Flyers lost four straight to the Penguins, and 
in the regular season, and, and it's a mismatch. But if you look at the games, the Flyers had a lot of missed opportunities. So this could be a long, fun series. I, I really believe that. You also noted that the Penguins are really good at home. They were 39-2 and at PPG Paints Arena. The Flyers will have to steal a game out there somehow. What makes it so tough to play in Pittsburgh? Well, you know, not only the loud fans, but the Penguins, they seem to be on their game more so at home. Most teams are. The Flyers are an exception. The Flyers this year actually had more points on the road until the last weekend of the season. I think they finally edged up with a few more points at home than they had on the road. But the Penguins just seem to feed off the crowd. But the Flyers, we should say, have done very well in Pittsburgh's arena since that arena opened. I think it was in 2012. So, you know, I expect it to be, the, and, and this year, the two games in Pittsburgh, they were both 5-4 overtime games. So the Flyers, you know, hang in there with the Penguins. They're not as much of a gambling team uh, on the road as they are at home. I think at home they get a little carried away, the Flyers, in trying to make the fancy pass and the perfect play, even on the power play. We're on the road, they're more structured, and, and they play a, a more simple game. And I think that helps them, and it should help them in Pittsburgh. As you said, if they take one of two in the first two games, they'd be very happy. Yep, well, let's hope for a good long series. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, one final thing, Sam. The last time we talked back in December, we talked quite a bit about the book you wrote with Lou Nolan, If These Walls Could Talk, Philadelphia Flyers. From everything I've seen, everybody who read it, including me, really enjoyed it. Are you happy with the reaction you've gotten from everyone about the book? Yeah, I am, Chet. I, I appreciate you mentioning it. Yeah, we, we've gotten great feedback on it. And, uh, yeah, it's still available on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or, you know, in, in the bookstores. And we'll be doing a lot of signings, I think, as we get close to Father's Day. That's usually oh, yeah. uh, a popular time to do uh, book signings. But, yeah, I'm real happy for Lou because, you know, not, not many people have been there, uh, as you know, uh, over 50 years now. And, you know, it, it was great to see him interact with the fans and, and to see him really, really enjoy it because he has been with the Flyers longer than anybody. And, yeah, it, it, it was really nice to be a part of that and, and, and to share and, and lose joy because I, he really enjoyed being among the fans, as I did, too. Yeah, I just felt so good for him because he's kind of been behind the scenes. And I don't think he's gotten the, uh, the publicity or the notoriety that he really deserves. He, he's really a staple in that organization. And he had tons of great stories and a lot of personal stories behind the scenes stuff that a lot of people I don't think ever heard. And you're right, it is a great gift idea for Father's Day. One other thing, Sam, uh, how exciting is it to have what's happening at the Wells Fargo Center over the next week and a half? We're going to have four home games between the Flyers and 76ers, something that we haven't had in several years down at the center. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and you add that to what the Eagles did and what Villanova did. And, yeah, it, it seems like things go in cycles. If you're old enough to remember 1980 when all four teams were in oh, the yeah. finals, that would be a long shot this year. Maybe not for the Sixers, the way they're playing. Mm -hmm. Certainly be a long shot for the Flyers. They're 25-1 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup. But stranger things have happened. This, this is a, a fun team that has up-and-coming guys that they're blending in, up-and-coming young guys they are blending in with the veterans guys like Voracek and Giroux and Katuri and Simmons. So it's a great blend. If they can get some solid goaltending, they're, they're going to be a dangerous team. Sam, always great to talk to you. Have fun in Pittsburgh. Thanks very much, and enjoy the playoffs. Thanks, Chet. You too. Hey, Chet, good stuff from Sam there. It looks like uh, we're thinking along the same lines. The excitement of the young players, he's, he's excited about that. And, that, you know, I'm a little surprised he thinks it's going to be a long series, actually, as uh, – the Flyers already down one nothing in this one. Yeah, I was surprised too, to be honest. Uh, but maybe he knows something we don't. It's it's a challenge for sure. But you just never know. I mean, you know, Elliot could play very well. 
um, we're hoping. Uh, and that's all we can do at this point is hope for the best. Well, absolutely. And, uh, Sam, with great insight uh, also. And by the way, uh, for the book, I know you, you mentioned that, and I also had a chance to read it finally, too, and that it really is good. Good stories. Yeah, Lou's got a lot of great stories. We're going to have Lou on again at some point, too, because I'm sure he's got more stories that didn't make the final <laughs> cut of the book. I mean, the guy's been there for 50 years, uh, 45 or so as the PA man, so you know he's heard a lot of good stories. Yep, absolutely. Hey, Chet, uh, tell me, what's going on over at the Irish Rover Station House? Well, let me tell you right now, Bill. We've been telling you about the Rover for a full year now. Great dinners, steak, chicken, ribs, seven or eight varieties of burgers, awesome sandwiches and wraps, not to mention superb gourmet wings. This Saturday night, the band Rougarou performs at the Rover, and every Wednesday evening, it is trivia night. Of course, you can always catch Flyers, Sixers, and Phillies games on the Rover's many big TVs. Always 24 beers on tap and a great bunch of bartenders and waitstaff, too. And the Irish Rover is taking reservations for their annual Mother's Day brunch. Mother's Day coming up fast, May 13th. It is the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Now, let me find my music, Bill, because this is important. It's an important piece of music if I can figure out exactly what it is. Ah, a little discombobulated here. I got papers flying all over the place. <laughs> that music gets you crazy. Does. Yeah, I love the music, and um, I'm not seeing it. I know I loaded it, but oh, there it is. Here it is. It's important because I'll tell you why. Our little music clip, Bill, tonight is from a pretty special song that happened to be number one this week, way back in 1975, courtesy a guy who you saw on television just last night, that would be Elton John. Elton John. Yes, and uh, boy, that was a really good show last night. And uh, Elton actually sang this song himself, and it was it was a good one, no doubt. Yeah, I missed the first hour, and I know you said Lady Gaga was very good. I missed the first hour, but I did catch the second hour. A lot of good stuff, good performances, and then, of course, Elton himself coming on to do a few songs. Absolutely. Well, hey, Chet, let's talk about Phillies. If we've learned anything in this first 10 games of the season, it's it's going to be interesting to watch. That's for sure, and the kids are going to be fun to watch as well. Oh, heck yeah. Over the course of the first homestand, we saw Reese Hoskins go deep. We saw Michael Franco go on a little tear. We saw Nick Williams hit a deciding pinch hit home run on Sunday. And we saw Scott Kingry hit his first home run. And then, Tuesday night, his first big league grand slam. And don't forget about how good Aaron Nola looked going eight strong innings and beating the Reds. I know all of this came against two not-so-great teams, the Marlins and Reds, but a lot of positives over the past week at Citizens Bank Park, and we got a guest coming on in just a couple of seconds to talk about it. That's right. Well, you know, I, I always say it doesn't matter who's on the schedule. Win the games you're supposed to win. If you can win half the games you're not supposed to win, you're going to end up really good shape. So uh, we'll see how this goes, 5-5, five and five, and uh, we're going to talk nobody better to talk Phillies baseball with than that Chris Wheeler. And so let's go ahead and do it. Welcome back, Wheels. Thanks, guys. Nice to talk to you. Glad to be on the show. Hey, Wheels. It's Chet. Great to see you down in Clearwater last month. I love it down there, as any Phillies fan would. And thanks for coming on our show once again. We do appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. Right 
right to the hot topic here early in the season, Chris, Gabe Kapler. He's certainly different from what a lot of fans were used to. And after a disastrous opening series in Atlanta, there were actually people calling for him to be fired. I kid you not. Where do you stand on Gabe and the new age analytics approach that he advocates? Well, first of all, uh, you know, one thing that we never do in Philadelphia is overreact. Never. <laughs> no, but, you know, and I can say that I haven't lived there all my life. Um, yeah, that was a tough start. There's no doubt about it. That was a really tough way to get started, uh, to have what happened on opening day. And then, you know, the, the other thing in the third game of the season, that was just brutal. Um, you know, thankfully they've gotten back to five and five right now and played pretty well uh, against the, the Marlins and the Reds and taking some of that away. The analytical stuff is here to stay. I mean, you know, people keep using the terms now unorthodox and different and all. Well, I think in time, in our lifetime, we're going to say that that stuff's not unorthodox anymore. Because that's the way the game is headed. The, the game is headed with teams having players that play a lot of positions that you don't play the same seven, eight guys uh, all the time. Uh, the thing that we were used to that, you, you know, you would have your regular lineup and then you would have your bench players. And, and then you have the guys play on Sunday the day after a night game or something like that. Or, it, it's all different. So uh, whether or not the analytics are the way to go completely, I still think you need eyes on the game. I still think you need to use your gut. Uh, and be a baseball guy, too. But I think if you don't use the analytics, you're foolish. You get left behind. Interesting. Hey, Wills, with these, with all these young guys in the lineup, the Crawfords and the Kingrys and, and that bunch, there's others, Alfaro. Uh, can, does it hurt them, do you think, to come to the ballpark and maybe not know they're in the lineup? Or do you let them play more, <laughs> let them struggle? They're going to struggle. Uh, get through that and, and find a home. Well, here's the thing. I, I think Kapler and his coaching staff, now, I, look, I'm not down there anymore, and I, I really don't have any inside. But from what I understand and read and hear is that they keep them pretty well informed on when they're going to play and when they're not going to play. So it's not like they, the old days when a guy would come in, look at the lineup card on the wall, and he'd be ticked off because he wasn't playing again. Uh, they pretty much know they're not playing before they even get to the ballpark. Is that the right way to go? I don't know, but it's the way they're going to go. Uh, it's something they're going to have to get used to. The good thing about it is, is you've got young players, and it's not like you're doing it with a bunch of veterans who are going to complain and cause problems. Uh, basically, they're young, and they're going to keep their mouths shut. You know, Nick Williams probably said something right out of the shoot and then kind of eat crow about it, and uh, they had to talk about it, and evidently he's, uh, he's going to calm down on that. But I, I, I think that will help, uh, Chet, uh, that they have younger players that are, that aren't guys that come in and that are used to playing all the time and are going to complain when they don't play. But as I said earlier, you know, the term unorthodox, I don't know that it's going to apply anymore. I, I think more and more teams are headed towards this having versatility, having guys play a lot of positions in spring training, uh, and then to come north and have them be able to play a lot of positions when they get up here. Well, the Phils made a surprising move four days before the start of the season, signing that Scott Kingery, a guy that Bill mentioned and a guy who you just referred to, who, who hadn't played a regular season big league game uh, to this point, to a long-term deal. Uh, two-part question, Wheels. Is Kingery a star in the making, do you think? And is it fair to a rookie, even with uh, you know, a guy as talented as him, to have him moving around playing four or five different positions? <laughs> well, let me go to that last one first. Because I can't answer that except he's really fine with it. Uh, I I think you have to watch it through the course of a year to see if he hurts you defensively at any of them. I think he's a second baseman, and he will be a second baseman and a really good one, maybe an all-star second baseman uh, in his career. 
But right now you have a really good player playing second base in Cesar Hernandez. So you, you really can't take Cesar Hernandez out of your lineup because this guy's a switch hitter who can run, and he's not a defensive liability at all. So for Kingery, who was an outfielder at one time in college and high school, those kind of things, did play the outfield. It wasn't completely foreign for them to put him out there. He's very versatile. He's a very good athlete. But, you know, we're into the third, fourth series of the season, so I'm not going to be on, be on with you guys right now and tell you that he's not going to be a liability in a certain position defensively. I don't know that. I haven't seen him enough. As far as what they did with the signing and is it fair, uh, is it the signing uh, thing, I thought that was a great move they made. And the yep. only downside to it could have been that the kid would be a bust and if he's a bust, then none of us know anything about baseball. And that's before <laughs> he started already showing you this kid yep. can play. I mean, he is a he's a solid major league player. Is he going to be a star player? He could be. He absolutely could be a star player someday. Uh, but they did the right thing. And what they did economically, and which is important in the game, is take him out of some free agency years, uh, take him out of some arbitration years. You don't have to go through that with him now where you're worrying about, oh, here comes arbitration. We're going to tick him and his agent off because we're not going to pay them right now, even though they had a great year because we still have control over them. Or all of a sudden we're facing a free agent year coming up. and You know, what, what's going to happen there? And you don't have to worry about that for a while. So I really think – I think that was a tremendous move they made. And, and I know the downside was people said, well, you know, suppose he's not able to play at this level or he's not anything where near what you think he is. He's a good player, and he's going to be a really good player. Well, Will, speaking of really good players, what about that Aaron Nola? Where do you see the, the ceiling being for this guy? Is he ready to be a, be that breakout number one star? Never really been able to quite figure out if Aaron Nola is a big-time one or two pitcher in the major leagues uh, because of, of – um, because of his uh, uh, potential for injury with his delivery uh, and his body frame, because uh, he's pretty slight, everything about him points to a top of the rotation pitcher with his stuff and his mental mental makeup and his competitiveness and, and the fact that he pitched at LSU. And that was one of the reasons we took him so high, because we felt at the time he was the college-ready pitcher that was ready to get to the big leagues the fastest, and we are probably right about that. Um, when you watch him right now, and he's healthy, and he's and he can spot his fastball the way that he is, he's really, really good. Because his fastball is one of those things that if he has to use his fastball and get behind in the count, he's going to get hurt. But if he can use his breaking ball uh, and get ahead of hitters, and he's got an improved changeup, yeah, he could be a top of the rotation player. The idea right now is to try and keep him as healthy as possible, and uh, you know we just all have our fingers crossed that we'll be able to do that with him. He's a great kid. I, I, I kid him all the time. He's one of the few people I know in the team anymore. He was the player that I was lucky enough to go up with Sarge that night, and uh, and he was the pick that we had that night. You know, we were the we were the figureheads to pick the player that night. So every time I'd see him, I'd say, hey, I'm the guy that picked you. Don't mess this up. <laughs> That's pretty cool. All right. Speaking of the pitching, we can all agree that Nola is looking very good. Jake Arrieta should be fine once he gets another couple of starts under his belt. But after that, Wheels, who knows? We had T-Mac on with us two weeks ago, and he thinks Nick Pavetta may be the best of the three through five guys. What is your take on Pavetta, Lively, Velasquez, and, when healthy, Jared Lykoff? I was going to say that, and I didn't know Tommy had said that, but Pavetta's pitching here tonight, and he is – Ability-wise, stuff-wise, he is uh, he's the guy that is, is next in line. There's no doubt about that. He, 
He has a big-time fastball. Uh, he's got a good enough breaking stuff. He, he's very competitive to the point sometimes where they have to back him off because he gets a little amped. Uh, but, the, yeah, this guy, this guy's for, got a chance to be a good major league pitcher. Now, will he be? You can't hide. You can't hide people in this game. There's no way you can hide people in the game of baseball. So uh, we'll see whether or not it turns out that way with him. But I definitely agree. Velasquez to me is is kind of a a wild card. You know, sometimes mm. you think he's a better bullpen guy because his pitch count gets so high. He's a bullpen killer a lot of times when he goes out there. Uh, lively competes. You know, he's a little short in some areas, but he competes when he goes out there. Uh, as you said, uh, Arietta. You know, you hope that Arietta will be half of what he used to be. If he's half of what he used to be, he'll really help us. Because this guy was unbelievable competitor. One time, he's probably the best pitcher in the game. Uh, you know, he's not going to be that guy right now. But I think fans have to understand he's pretty much going through spring training right now. He's he still needs a few starts to really get his legs under him and figure out where he is. But the guy's got ability. Hey, Wills, uh, you know, talking about always being strong mm-hmm. up the middle, and the the Phils went with two rookies basically behind the plate in Alfaro and Knapp, and both struggling behind the plate as hitters. Uh, what's the risk there of going with them and Crawford and possibly Kingry at second? They're, they're uh, rookies up the middle. I agree. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I think the catching situation is still kind of up in the air because neither one of them are, are uh, stellar defensive catchers. Uh, and I, as I say, I'm not around it enough now to know to tell you whether or not they call, how they call the game and how, what they feel about them, the pitchers feel about them, how they call the game and all that. But all I can watch is the, the way they, they work behind the plate, and they're, they're, they're marginal right now. Now, can they get better? Hopefully. A fire obviously can really throw. Uh, Knapp is a, has a chance to be a pretty good major league hitter as a switch hitter. Uh, Alfaro has power, but he has a lot of holes. So, you know, that's a very key position, as you guys, as you just mentioned. It's a very key position to, to, uh, to have on your team because the catcher does so much. So I, I, I think that's up in the air. As far as Crawford goes, Crawford, Crawford to me has been uh, a little bit better uh, defensively. I watch him in spring training than I thought he was. Uh, offensively, but, uh, you know, he struggles. Uh, he swings a little long. But he's young. There's so many of these guys that are going to learn at the big league level, and it's really hard to play up here at this level when you haven't had a lot of it fast. But I think what they're doing is the right thing here. They're going to give these guys a, a full season in the major leagues with a lot of at bats, uh, play through the cold weather, the hot weather, uh, uh, through the good teams that you play, the bad teams, the road trips. It, it, it's a great, it's a strain. I mean, they haven't done this before. They've never played this many games. One of the reasons why they may be trying to cut down on the number of games that they play in the course of a year, especially in their first season in the major leagues. But one thing, as I said earlier, you can't hide this business. You give a guy 500 at bats or you give him 200 innings or those kind of things, or your bullpen guys get exposed to whether what they are or they aren't, by the end of the summer, you're going to know what you have here and what you don't have. Well, you mentioned the bullpen. A couple of guys are on the DL, but, uh, you know, once they're healthy, Meshack and Hunter, the bullpen could be a strength of this team. Do you agree? I hope so. Uh, that's why they got those two guys, because they're veteran guys. You know, Meshack's very good against right-handed hitters. Um, uh, 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 who was the other guy I just mentioned? I forgot. Uh, Hunter? Uh, Hunter. Hunter. Yeah, he was, I saw him today doing a clinic here today, talking to some kids today. Uh, 
Hunter is a veteran guy who, who uh, really evidently can compete with his sinker and slider. And, uh, but neither one of them are guys that are they're late guys, in my opinion, you know, from what I've heard about them. They're seventh inning, maybe eighth inning. So they're not closer. They're not strikeout guys. And nowadays, what you want your bullpen are strikeout pitchers as much as possible, like a Neris and those kind of guys. Uh, so they have a couple guys out there that have the potential to do those kind of things as the season goes along. Can it be a strength? I think it's going to have to be because of the way that they want to handle the starting pitching and the innings that they get. I think the bullpen will really come into play in many, many areas this year. Hey, Wills, I have to ask you about that Mikel Franco. To me, he's this is it. It's make or break for him. He's <laughs> going to have to have to produce uh, yeah. some, some yeah. big-time numbers. Totally agree, and he got off to a great start. Uh, he is one of those guys that you just don't want to – he's like Herrera. Those two guys, they're both immensely talented. Like, like Oduble tonight had a, a line drive hit right at him to start the game, and he missed it. He just missed it. And, you know, you know, he's really a good player, and then other times he's not a good player. Uh, Franco's the same way. You just don't know what you're going to get. But, uh, see, there's a two – now, Herrera, we have a pretty good idea because he's played. But Franco is another guy that they, you're right. He's got to play another season here. And then find out. Now, would, if they get if they get tired of him by the end of the year, would they do something with him? I can't tell you that. But they need to give him because he's one of those guys. You might keep him, and he kill you if you keep him, and then you get rid of him, and he turns into an MVP because <laughs> he has all these. You know, he's got all these tools. You just don't teach what he can do. The power that he has, the way the ball jumps off his bat, the way he can hit it out, any part of the ballpark, and make it look easy when he does it. So. And he's a pretty good third baseman, too. He throws well. He moves pretty well for a big guy. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of his in a lot of ways that, uh, you know, you, you really wanna, you want him to make it because he has superstar potential. And he also could be a guy where you look at him and say, wow, he just didn't get to where you hoped he would get. All right, so what's the verdict, Wheels? Can the Phils finish 500? Can they maybe compete for a wild card? Oh, boy, that's uh... – <laughs> it's, you know, it, I, I'm not a predictions guy, but early, it, it, I, I still feel the same way I felt in spring training. I don't see this pitching staff being able to do that. Now, if this pitching staff evolves and grows into what we were just talking about just now, uh, possibly, yeah, uh, that they, they could be able to do those kind of things. Um, I think J.P. Crawford just hit a home run <laughs> as we're talking about it. Nice. Um, I'm nice. at the game tonight, obviously. In fact, I'm I'm looking up right now because the TV has a has a delay. Now, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. This guy's <laughs> balking people all around the bases. That's, no, he did. He just hit a home run. Yep. He just hit a long home run, in fact. Uh, so there you go. There, there, there's a guy we're talking about right now that you just don't know what you're going to get out of him. Maybe he gets that hit last night, big hit uh, to put them ahead with a couple outs. Uh, and maybe that loosened him up to the point where, you know, he'll be able to do some of the things that you hope he can do. Uh, but that, he just had a long home run, and they just took a two-to-nothing lead. Well, as you mentioned, you're at the ballpark. Are you uh, are you there as a fan? Because you're officially <laughs> retired now, right? I am officially retired. I'm here on uh, – we're calling it Old Geezer's Night. <laughs> Larry Shank, <laughs> who, who was my original boss um, – likes to put these luncheons together during the year. Well, they decided to do a game tonight. And when I look around this box right now, and guys like Bill Giles and Dave Montgomery are in here, all us old guys that 
started out a long time ago with this organization, and we're here. They put us in a nice little suite down the first baseline. Uh, John Weber took us around tonight and showed us all the new stuff that is here at the ballpark. The place looks great. It just looks tremendous with all the things that they've done. And, um, you know, they're, they're trying to do a lot of things around here. And, and you know, economically, they're going to be able to do a lot of stuff as the years go on because they're going to have the money to be able to do some things. Uh, but right now, uh, uh, they just didn't want to get involved with a lot of uh, big-time free agents and that sort of stuff. But the ballpark itself, with all the new things they put out here, all the new places to eat and entertain the kids and all this sort of stuff, it just looks great. Yep, terrific ballpark. I love going there. I was there opening day, really had a good time. Hey, Wheels, even though you're officially retired, as we just said, I was in Clearwater last month, and it was nice to hear that you're still doing the uh, PA work for the Phillies yeah, down you. in Clearwater. That was nice. Well, what happened is um, uh, Dave Buck, our executive vice president, and I got together, and he okayed it with Andy McPhail, and we did a little deal that uh, uh, if I want to every year or if they want me to, uh, I will do uh, spring training and. Uh, you know, play golf with clients or have dinner with clients or, or do the PA at the ballpark. And uh, it's a six-week thing, uh, having a place that I'm probably going to spend a lot of time living in down there that's being built right now. Uh, and it's all going to work out. And I, I was really happy to be down there, still working for the club, be around it. And then when they left, I was able to stay 10 more days and play a lot of golf. Well, I, well, I was up here, and it was everybody was freezing. I was still down in Clearwater, and I didn't get back, I didn't get back until Sunday. Um, so yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. I had a lot of people say that to me that they, they it, it's nice when they go to uh, spectrum field, and they hear me, hear me doing the PA. They sound, you know, kind of like a feel of home and those kind of things. It makes you feel good that people still remember you and still like your work and like the things that you did. And, uh, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a really nice feeling. Yeah, sure is. Hey, you didn't build a house down there next to Ryan Howard on Bel Air beach. Did you <laughs> one of those little, little uh, shacks? Well, I'd rent a room from him if he. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I, uh, I'm quite in his area. He's over there in Bel Air Beach, which is beautiful. Uh, I was lucky enough to get into a new development they're building at uh, the site of the 100-year-old Bellevue Biltmore Hotel, right next to Bel Air Country Club, right on the, uh, the inter- uh, right next to the harbor, right there, and Bel Air Country <laughs> Club golf courses, and that's where they're building it. And I'm very fortunate to to be uh, to be able to purchase a place there that'll be ready by mid-July. Fantastic. All right, Wheels. Well, hey, you enjoy that and uh, enjoy your retirement. Are you going to go down there full-time? I guess we should ask you that. Or are you going to split time? I want to spend a lot of time down there. Uh, It's up in the air. You have a long-time relationship here with a significant other who doesn't want to spend as much time down there as I do. So we're kind of negotiating. You guys know the feeling. All right. Thank you, Wheels. Wheels, Hey, as always, thanks for joining us. And, uh, it's going to be an interesting summer at Citizens Bank Park. Hey, it's my pleasure. Uh, yeah, it is going to be fun to watch. Uh, there's a lot of good players here. In fact, Hernandez almost hit a home run. Billy Hamilton looks like he went over the wall and pulled one back in dead center field. We might have had another run there. So there's a guy, another guy we were just talking about. How you, you know, it's tough to take a Cesar Hernandez out of your lineup because he's so yeah. valuable. Enjoy All the game, right, Wheels. We appreciate it. Okay, keep in touch. And, uh, you know, if you ever want to hear from me again uh, – Put in my two cents. Give me a call. I'll be glad to do it. Absolutely. We will. All right, guys. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. All right, Bill. You know what time it is. Yep. You it's know. hot seat time. 
Speaking of a hot seat, the Flyers are getting smoked by the Penguins, so uh, that's enough of that. But uh, <laughs> time to put you back on the hot seat. Week 7 of Season 2 of Random Q2. To sum it up, Random Q2 is our little 10-week segment in which I ask you two little questions. The first question about a sports topic, something timely, pretty much always. The second question, one of ten random questions that were written down a couple of months back. That, that one will be about, well, whatever. All right, your first question this evening, Bill. Assuming good health for all, which Philly will lead the team in batting average this season and which pitcher will lead in victories, Nola, Arietta, or someone else? Uh, leading average will be that Odubel Herrera, and the leading wins will be Aaron Nola. I agree with you on Nola. I'm not sold on Herrera just yet. I don't know. We, we shall see. I hope you're right. Uh, I hope he really does turn it on and hits 310 or whatever, so that would be nice. Yeah, he's going he's to hit somewhere up in that 280, 290, He's going to be up there somewhere. Okay. For your second question this week, I need you to pick one of these numbers. You got four left. Two, three, or seven. No, wait, no. Two, three, five, or seven. There it is. <laughs> Two, three, five, or seven. Let's go with that Billy Barber number seven. Number seven. And I have no idea what the answer is to this, but I'm going to ask. Bill, do you have any tattoos? And if so, how many? If not, why not? I do not have any. Uh, I don't ever plan to have any. And I, I guess the reason was... I just never thought I wanted one. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, when we were kids, they weren't a real big thing. They were a whole lot bigger with this generation than they were with my generation. I, I got I my probably, one and only. On my 50th birthday, I got my one and only tattoo. It's on my upper left arm. I may get a second one. Something to do with the Eagles Super Bowl win on my right oh bicep. My we shall see. Don't <laughs> do it. Don't do it. My mother, my mother probably killed me. She's 84. She'd probably still kill me. And, hey, Bill, because I have this sort of power and because I'm such a big music guy, I'm going to sneak in a third question to Random Q2 this week. Here it is. Okay. The annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions are this weekend. There are four big-time classic rock bands going into the hall. So what I need you to do is to rank these four bands, one through four, in terms of which is most likely to be on a Bill Furman playlist. The Moody Blues, Bon Jovi, The Cars, and Dire Straits. Um, number one would be Moody Blues. Mm -hmm. Number two would be, uh, Bon Jovi. Did you say Bon Jovi? Yep. Bon Jovi. Number three would be Dire Straits. And number four would be the last one. Who was left? That would be The Cars. Very interesting. Yep. I admit it, that's pretty tough. Four great bands. And here's the shocker. I have seen only one of them in concert, and it's probably the least likely one if you were to guess. The Moody Blues I saw back in the early 90s. I love all four of those bands, though. There you go. I think I passed tonight with Flying Colors. You did. You did very well tonight. Congratulations. All right. (laughs) Hey, speaking of passing, how about 51 wins for those Philadelphia 76ers? No Joel Embiid, no problem. 15 wins in a row and haven't lost since Embiid went down. Simply amazing. I know they've played a bunch of subpar teams during that streak, but they've also played a few good ones along the way. And, you know, the win over the Cavs last Friday was certainly memorable. And even without Embiid, they are a scary bunch heading into the playoffs, which start this Saturday. 
Well, J.J. Redick has certainly picked up the scoring slack for Embiid, and Simmons is still doing what he does. He hasn't actually been putting up the triple doubles quite as much, but he's been getting doubles. Uh, you know, and then the other guys are filling in the blanks and, and scoring points and making plays. Yeah, Ersan Ilyasova also doing well. What's really wild, going into the final night of the season as we speak here on Wednesday evening, uh, the Sixers could play any one of four different teams in the opening round, depending on how everything shakes out. The Pacers, the Bucks, the Wizards, or the Heat. The Sixers could be a third or a fourth seed. And then that sixth seed is up for grabs among three different teams. The Pacers are locked in at number five. So a lot of different scenarios here on the final night of the NBA regular season. Well, do, do any of those teams scare you? Is there any of those you wouldn't want to match up against? I don't, I don't see why they can't beat any of them. I think they could beat any of them, even without Joel Embiid. Now, last week, Keith Pompey said the Pacers might be the toughest of those matchups. I don't know. The Bucks scare me with the, the Greek freak, but uh, that's who the Sixers are playing here in the final night of the season. But, yeah, like you said, I think they could beat any one of those four teams in the opening round. Yeah, it, I think it's going to be really fun to watch because I think they're going to be scary come playoff time. And, you know, we'll see what the timetable is on Embiid. It seems like that's still pretty up in the air. But, uh, you know, they're still going to be tough without him. Yeah, absolutely. And, by the way, one other Sixers note, the team will be getting the Lakers' uh, first-round pick this June, unless it's, I think, two through four, I believe. They'll get it if the Lakers end up with number one or number five or below. And right now the Lakers are slotted – 10th among the lottery teams and are therefore very likely to be giving that 10th pick to the Sixers. It's something like an 87% chance they'll end up with number 10. So the Sixers will be getting potentially a pretty decent player in the June draft. Well, and you know, you know, one other thing, speaking of the draft, I wanted to throw back out to you about that Markel Fultz and, you know, he's playing now he's, he's playing. Okay. Uh, Where's he going to fit in here in the playoffs? Well, Brett Brown uh, addressed that today and said he's going to be doing with Fultz pretty much what he's been doing over the last couple of weeks. He'll be playing, you know, when Simmons gets a little breather. I don't know that they're going to play very much at all together. They did that only a couple of times during these last 10 games. Um, So I think he's basically going to be the backup for Simmons. And that, unfortunately, as we discussed previously, is going to cut down on the playing time for our TJ McConnell guy. So, uh, Unfortunately for TJ, I think they like Fultz a little more. And, you know, it makes sense. He's a number one overall pick last year. So if he's healthy and he's all that he's cracked up to be, it makes sense. And they want to keep giving him those opportunities. Yeah, well, you know, I'm kind of waiting to see what's going to happen here with McConnell. Are they giving Fultz these, these regular season minutes? And when it comes crunch time, they go back to McConnell. Or is Fultz just a better player? And McConnell's days are pretty well numbered. We'll We'll see how that plays out. Yeah, come playoff time, it may change. We'll see. But uh, I think right now it's going to be more Fultz than McConnell. I think so, too. Hey, and one other thing. You mentioned about that uh, that Cleveland game. Boy, what a game that was. We're at a 30-point oh, lead, and it went down to the last shot of the game. And, and Robert Covington commits a crazy foul that, you know, if by some off-the-wall reason LeBron James makes that three, they lose. He goes in the yeah. foul shot, and they lose that game. But it wasn't if he foul in the first case. And secondly, he was definitely not shooting. He was not shooting, and the referees even admitted that, or the NBA admitted that after the fact, that that was a mistake by the referees to give him three foul shots. That He was on the floor when he was fouled, so it should not have been a three-shot 
shooting foul. But, uh, you know, it is what it is, and the Sixers hung on. It was a little shaky, a little scary, of course, you know, going down to the final couple of seconds. But uh, they got the win, and now if they win this evening, they are the third seed. Yep. Well, it's been a, it's been a pretty incredible ride. If they win this one, it'll be 52 wins on the season, and uh, who'd have thunk? Who would have thunk? All right. Hey, Chet, I already know who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio uh, next week, but tell the listeners who it is, and it is one of my favorite shows of the year. Well, you know what, Bill? This is a guy that you first brought to Philly Press Box Radio a couple of weeks into our first year of doing this way back in May of 2014. So I'm going to let you do the honors this week of telling everybody about the guy who will be joining us for a fifth straight spring. Who is it? Well, if you are an Eagles junkie, and I believe there's a few of them floating around uh, the Delaware Valley and listening to us uh, wherever you're listening from, we talk draft, and we're going to talk about it with the draft expert in this area that I know of, and that is that Fran Duffy is going to join us for the fifth straight year. Yep, Fran works for the Eagles, and he does a phenomenal job breaking everything down regarding the Eagles and the draft. Yeah, it is Five straight years, even though we're about to celebrate our fourth anniversary. So we got to figure out exactly how that happened. But I'll tell you, it was because the draft back in 2014 wasn't until May. So he was actually one of our first guests. And now he's going to be back for a fifth straight spring. And uh, he's going to break it all down for us. Yep, can't wait. And, uh, Chet, you, uh, you have an assignment, as I do, is we have to at least have one of our players' uh, favorite players on each side of the ball to call out and talk about uh, with France. So looking forward to that. You know what's weird? Since the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I haven't paid much attention at all this year to the mock drafts or any of the players. Unlike in past years when the Eagles always came up short, I was really focused on the draft and who they might go after and who's available. But now they're the Super Bowl champs. They don't pick till number 32. They don't have a second or third round pick as, at this time anyway. And so I haven't really been paying all that much attention to all the different scenarios. So, uh, it's kind of a good feeling, though. I gotta be honest. Well, well, you know, and I think where where we all got caught up in this thing is the season didn't end till February. There wasn't all that downtime, yeah. and, and when the season ended, the other sports were already rolling, and man, we just jumped right over it with spring training and boom, you boom, got boom, it. short off season. Yep. All right. Hey, looking forward to it, Fran Duffy next week, and he will be our single guest, by the way. Fran will be with yes. us for most of the hour. Well, hey, Chet, we posted, I wanted to ask you about this one, too, because I posted an article on phillypressboxradio.com written by our buddy Jack McCaffrey about the Phillies fans booing Gabe Kapler, and specifically at the home opener, which you were at, by the way, and uh, how Philly fans have a history of bullying new coaches. Tell me what you think of that. I think you know what I think, because I wrote an article about the situation as well last week, similar to what uh, Jack said. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the guy made a few bad moves in the opening week, but I think he's learning from those mistakes. He's certainly done a better job since then, and it's a travesty that some fans are still booing Kapler every time he goes out to make a pitching change. I think Philadelphia fans in general just kind of relish or revel in the whole <laughs> booing thing, but knock it off. Uh, well, you know, and the article's a good article because it talks about how uh, Charlie Manuel, Doug Peterson, Brett Brown, the whole, the whole list of current guys have all been through what he calls the bullying of the Philadelphia fans, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, as, as Wheels said, patience is not one of the great virtues of a Philadelphia fan. 
<laughs> well, if you want to check that article out, go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com. Uh, scroll down. Uh, it's down towards the bottom. It's uh, it's a pretty interesting read. Yep. Hey, Chad, a couple quick signings to mention. Carl's Cards and Collectibles will have 1960 Eagles World Champions Pete Retzlaff and Maxi Bond in the store on April 14th. The Phillies 1980 World Champions Bob Walk and Ozzie Virgil Jr. on April the 21st. And Carl just added a couple 1983 Phils and broadcasters, Larry Anderson and Gary Sarge Matthews, on May the 12th. And also the Fan Cave at the Rockvale Outlet in Lancaster will be having Michael Vick in their store this weekend, April 14th, as well. And as I noted when Carl posted that about Larry Anderson, if L.A. can't make it for some reason, it'll take three Kevins to fill in for him. <laughs> yes, it will. Yes, it will. <laughs> and and uh, it'll be interesting because he's uh, L.A.'s a good guy, and, uh, and so is Sarge. I think they'll have a big turnout for that. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Mr. Chesco, do you have a parting shot tonight? Because I do not. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot, but it is an exciting time in Philadelphia sports with the 76ers riding that 15-game winning streak as we speak. The Sixers and Flyers heading into the postseason together for the first time in six years. The Phillies showing signs of life. And, oh, yeah, another national title for Jay Wright's Philadelphia Wildcats and that little Super Bowl title won by the Eagles two months back. Can the Flyers win a round or two? You just never know in hockey. It's not looking good right now here in Game 1. Back in 2010, the Orange and Black pulled out a dramatic win over the Rangers on the final day of the season just to get into the playoffs and ended up going all the way to the finals. In 2012, the Flyers upset the favored Penguins in the opening round of the playoffs before falling to the Devils in the second round. If a goaltender gets hot, that means you, Brian Elliott, not looking so good right now, as I said, a deep run is possible. As for the Sixers, they might be a year away from truly competing for a title, but I'll tell you this, there's not a team in the East that wants to see Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and company in a series, and I can't wait to see what happens. It's going to be fun, 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 is what I'm thinking is going to happen here in the next uh, six or eight weeks. Yeah, great time of year for a Philly sports fan. All right. Well, Mr. Chesco, with that, we've reached the top of the hour, so let's thank our special guests, Sam Carcitti, Chris Wheeler, Irish Rover Station House, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, April 18th at 7 p.m. when Fran Duffy joins us. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet, at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Mixcloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Philadelphia Wildcats, NCAA Basketball National Champions, and Philadelphia Eagles, Super Bowl 52 Champions.